Father, send us your spirit. And teach us your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Don't look, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Words written in the first century by the Apostle Paul to a young church leader, Timothy. I wonder to what extent they might have been an inspiration for Queen Elizabeth as a young woman declaring her own commitment to serving her people. The Apostle Paul also encouraged Timothy to be diligent in these matters, to be conscientious, to stick at them, to take them seriously. And we've given much thanks and remembered over the last couple of days for the diligence of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, and if you've read uh, Doug's blog, uh, and if you haven't, you can do, uh, in the email this week, um, two particular stories he told of ways in which um, the Queen Elizabeth demonstrated compassionate service towards people, greeting people at a reception, um, giving them time and taking trouble, um, and also responding very kindly to correspondence. Um, and if I remember rightly, um, those of you who are involved in a holiday at home um, wrote to Queen Elizabeth recently and got a reply. Queen Elizabeth always made very clear that her motivation and inspiration for being diligent in her life of service was her Christian faith. She said, For me, the teachings of Christ and my personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's word and example. In looking at that again, what stood out for me was the word accountability. Despite being the monarch, the head of state and head of nation, Queen Elizabeth recognised that there is a higher power to whom she was accountable. Um, if you uh, watched or listened to the service of thanksgiving from St Paul's Cathedral on Friday evening, you, would, uh, you might have noticed uh, the Bishop of London referring to a little-known aspect of the coronation service uh, from in 1953, which nobody saw because it was hidden from the cameras, which was the moment when the new queen was anointed with oil. And that's a traditional moment. Kings and queens throughout the world have been anointed with oil at the moment of their accession or their coronation. It's what sets them apart, and it symbolizes something coming upon them, the authority and the mantle of responsibility. Here's a bit of linguistics for you. You get ready for it at this time in the morning. Um, the title Christ is a translation of a Hebrew word, Messiah, and uh, the Hebrew word Messiah means someone who is anointed. And so it implies, therefore, a royal figure, because the people who are anointed are the people who are anointed as king or queen. Occasionally other people get anointed as well, but the general connotation 
is that it's a royal figure. So whenever Queen Elizabeth, or whenever any of us, refer to Christ, we are acknowledging the sovereignty of Jesus. We are actually recognizing the royal credentials of Jesus. That's what the title Christ implies. So when Queen Elizabeth refers to the teachings of Christ and her personal accountability, she is acknowledging that she herself had a sovereign. Not just any king, but the king of kings and lord of lords, as the famous phrase has it. Or perhaps we ought to say on this occasion, king of queens as well. The teaching of Jesus that is referred to here is a teaching primarily about kingship. The proclamation of Jesus in his lifetime was the kingdom of God is at hand. Or in other words, the kingship of God, the sovereignty of God is close at hand, is is happening. It's here and it's now in me, said Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated that. Jesus enacted it. He demonstrated humble trust in God for all his necessities. He used and channeled the power of God to overcome the storms of nature, to resist evil, to cure sickness, and even to bring life out of death. So Christ Jesus, or King Jesus, as we might say, showed God to be sovereign over everything that harms or destroys. He proclaimed life and goodness and himself as the one through whom God is producing them. So that's the gospel, that's the good news. That is what gives us hope and sustains our hope. The hope that God can and will exercise sovereignty for the good of all people and restore the world one day to its intended perfection. When we look around us, there is plenty of reason to need such hope. The world is not as it should be, nor as God intends it to be. We need a saviour. We need saving from climate change and from pollution and from famines and floods. We need saving from pandemics and disorders and so many other causes of death. We need saving from broken relationships and from abuse and from many forms of mistreatment. We need saving from inequality, the deprivation of some for the benefit of others. We need saving from ourselves, from our frailty and brokenness and weakness, as well as from our stubbornness and selfishness and rebellion. Now, those of us who come to church regularly know these things. We have made our confession this morning. We use the language of sin and the language of forgiveness to describe those things which have gone wrong 
and the way in which God is at work in Jesus, putting them right. But if sin and forgiveness doesn't float your boat, there's plenty of other ways of describing the same principle. For the one who is broken, Jesus is the mender. For the one who is estranged, Jesus is the reconciler. For the one who is diseased, Jesus is the healer. For the one who is captive, Jesus is the rescuer. For the one who is abused, Jesus is the bringer of justice. For the one who is despised, Jesus is the lover. Jesus is the saviour of the world the one who puts right what has gone wrong by demonstrating and enacting the sovereign authority of God. Going back to our reading, as the Apostle Paul said, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that we have put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all and especially of those who believe. Shortly we'll be taking communion with the bread and the wine prepared here on the table. And as we do so, we remember that Jesus died for our sake and was raised and lives forever and one day will return and herald God's perfect restoration of the whole world. The kingdom will come. But in the meantime, the kingdom is already here, for the Holy Spirit lives within us. So we put our trust and our hope in Christ Jesus, our King. We look for the signs of God's kingdom, and we seek to be channels of it by treating all people equally by working for justice, by praying for healing and seeking to be channels of reconciliation. So let us take the encouragement of the Apostle Paul this morning and be diligent and persevere in this hope. Let us acknowledge God's sovereignty and live in a way that demonstrates it. Live like the kingdom is near. Live in a way that honours the king. I'll finish with the words of a blessing, which are also derived from the writings of the Apostle Paul in his other letters, and which were quoted by Queen Elizabeth in her Christmas message in the year 2000. Go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil, but strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honour everyone. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so may the love of God, the light of Christ the King, and the power of that Spirit be with us all. Amen.